0: This is the beginning right after the Beatitudes and and some of the introductory um, aspects of the sermon. This is really sort of the beginning middle of the Sermon on the Mount and contains a lot of information. It's produced a lot of questions. What's going on here? What is Jesus saying? What uh, how do we relate to what Jesus is saying? And as we consider this this morning briefly, um, I'd like to just draw our attention to a few things. First, to think back on what Blake preached last week, that Jesus has said he's not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And that heaven and earth will pass away before one jot or tittle of the, the law is abolished. The whole Old Testament is straining forward towards something better. If you think about all the heroic figures of the Old Testament, David, this great king, yet flawed. We see in David so many great attributes, and yet there's one coming who's going to be greater than David. We look back further and we see Moses. We see even the Exodus as God's people are Redeemed as they're set free from captivity and led through to freedom. We see the parting of the Red Sea, and, and even with Moses, and even with that story of redemption, which probably is um, one of the great beacon lights of the Old Testament that's referred back to regularly by God through the prophets, through the Psalms, this great event is pointing forward to a greater and more comprehensive. Redemption story, the whole Old Testament is yearning to be fulfilled. Ultimately, God even promises the one God, Yahweh, who's there present with his people through handwritten laws, his own finger on tablets, writing these laws. He's present there. He's present in a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud. He's present regularly um, at the tabernacle with his cloud of glory. God himself promises numerous times that he's going to come in person and shepherd his people, Israel, that he will come in person to gather his people, to bind up their wounds, to feed them. So even even these amazing miracles of God's presence and the amazing reality of God's presence in these ways, even those highlights are straining forward to this mind-blowing promise that God someday is going to come in person and, and fulfill even a greater degree. Even these uh, experiences of God's nearness are going to be transfigured into something even greater when God comes in person. So the whole Old Testament is straining and yearning and leaning Toward this ultimate fulfillment. And now here is Jesus, this person who's just begun his ministry, and he keeps repeating, I have come, I have come, which calls our attention to him. Well, who are you? And where did you come from? And why are you here? Jesus is here fulfilling the law the prophets Jesus is here this person is here claiming to be fulfilling the law and the prophets in fact fulfilling every promise of God so as Jesus opens his mouth here in this passage that we've just read by his teaching and by his obedience we can know that he's bringing the law as Israel knew it to its perfect destination. He's he's going to speak. And as he teaches the law, we're going to understand much more fully its intent and its purpose and its meaning for God's people. That's one thing that we'll see. Another thing that we're going to see is. That as Jesus is here speaking, this is Yahweh in person. The very word who was with God from the beginning is now going to teach the law. The law, which was created by God. Now, this uncreated word of God is standing on this mountain and opening his mouth to teach the law, to instruct his people. Every jot and tittle of God's mind has now become flesh and is standing in their very midst. Jesus says repeatedly, I have come. Jesus has said previously, the kingdom of God is at hand, is right in front of your face. This section of scripture, which contains references to these, this part of the law, these 10 commandments that really get at our horizontal relationships with one another, it's bookended, if you noticed, by these two verses. One is verse 20, chapter five, verse 20, um, that where Jesus says, um, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's jarring. And then he says at the close, you, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect in verse 48. And between these, Jesus runs through the law and he uses a kind of repetitive cadence or a repetitive um, structure. He starts by saying, you have heard that it was said to those of old or you have heard it said. And then he, he quotes part of the law of Moses. And then he says, but I say to you, and then he expounds on that and illustrates it in application. I need to um, acknowledge that I think I've preached this passage, I don't know, a number of times, and I've always gotten it fundamentally wrong. That should encourage you, because maybe I'll say that again, like a year or two from now, about this sermon. So, so be careful. Um, what Jesus is not doing here. And guys who were here on Wednesday, forgive me. What, what, what Jesus is not doing here is saying, you thought that you were okay just because you had not done this horrible thing. But I'm telling you, unless you don't just not do this horrible thing, but also don't do all these things, there's no way you can be perfect. You have to do all of this in order to be justified by the law, and if you if you can't do all of this stuff perfectly, well then, um, well then, good luck. And and kind of seeing that through a very um, narrow lens of, well, we can't be justified by the law. So what's Jesus doing here? He's 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 exasperating um, our ability to obey him, and and just kind of shining a light on us that no one can bear and, and driving us to a place where we need some other kind of righteousness. Are those things true? I think those things are true. And um, Paul says later, you know, no one can be justified by the law. I don't think that that's untrue. The question is, what's Jesus doing here? You know, when God shows up in person to present the law, is that what he's doing right here? And I don't think it is. I think what Jesus is doing here is he's helping us to follow these massive sins upstream in our own hearts and find where they are conceived and cultivated so that we can go up there where our heart is and where our mind is and give that to God and love God better. And 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 see that these massive things way down here where there's a body count. When you murder someone, you commit adultery, you do one of these oaths or hate your neighbor. I mean, these are big things where there's already been a catastrophe. And are we supposed to avoid those? Of course. I think Jesus here as a teacher is saying, here, let's let's look at that. And let's follow it upstream. So with, uh, with anger, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. I'm not here to abolish that. I'm not here to, 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 to eradicate that. Let's follow that upstream though. So here's murder. What happens before that happens? Let's go upstream and let's talk about anger. And let's talk about cursing our neighbors. And let's talk about... Um, Coming to the altar to worship God and then and then having something come to mind in our conscience that says I've done somebody dirty or somebody else has done me dirty and I don't like this. This this feels uncomfortable for me. And then. Sorry. Hopefully you can still hear me. This is is, it, is this still OK? So I don't want to fidget with this. I'll just talk louder. Um, so he, he, he tells us, it's kind of like this threefold sequence, tells us what we've heard before. And then he, ex- he takes us upstream. And then he gives us these very practical instructions around that. Like, don't keep worshiping God if there's someone that you're offended with. Or if you know of someone who's offended with you. Stop worshiping God. Leave your gift there. And go make it right with your brother. And then come back and worship God that make sense? I mean, he's he's not um, just here to try to lay it on so heavy that we're driven through this narrow gate of justification. He's here as a shepherd and as a teacher, equipping us to love God from the heart and helping us really Produce a righteousness that's greater than the scribes and the Pharisees who were so concerned about these maybe external things and making sure that everything was polished, but weren't really teaching or considering um, this this righteousness that's loving God from the heart, which is the whole first half of the law. So Jesus is in a way getting to that first part of the law of loving our God with all of our heart, soul, strength and mind by helping us see Some of these things that are really easy for us to get. He does the same thing with um, adultery. Here's this massive thing that that Moses calls you to avoid. And when this happens, there's a body count. There's a catastrophe. So let's not just avoid this thing. Let's follow it upstream and think about um, the way that that lust Interacts with our minds and with our hearts, the way that distraction or temptation um, is 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 up here being um, being moulded over and being nurtured. Let's go all the way there. And and then let's talk about your eye. And if you're seeing something, if you're putting yourself in front of things that are stimulating lust, stop doing those things. Cut that out of your life. And if your hand is causing you to sin before you get to adultery, stop doing that. Cut that out of your life. Jesus is here as this teacher, truly equipping us to be transformed and to bear a righteousness that's greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees. He's drawing us into this place where we want to worship God from our heart. And we're concerned on a much deeper level with the transgressions, the small compromises that are way upstream from these massive catastrophes. And that's where he's inviting us to live. Don't be anxious for what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear, he's going to say. Be anxious for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Here he's helping us To be anxious for the kingdom of God and his righteousness way in here in the incubator, in the seedbed that leads to these things that Moses wrote about. So Jesus is not abolishing the law. And he's certainly not just trying to prove to us how guilty we all are. He's helping us to live a life from the heart that truly is transformed. How can I bear kingdom righteousness? Righteousness. That pleases God. He goes on. And we don't have time to unpack all of these. But as you consider. Um, some, it, it's very similar. O's are the same way. You know. He's, Moses has commanded us not to swear falsely. And then Jesus. He kind of brings that out to say. As you're swearing. You're, you're claiming. Some kind of Collateral. To something that you don't own. This is boastful. You don't have any collateral. You can't swear by heaven. That belongs to God. It's his throne. You can't swear by earth. That belongs to God. It's his footstool. You can't swear by Jerusalem. That's the city of God. You can't even swear by your own head. You don't even control the hair color of your own head. How can you swear by that? Just say yes or no. So he takes these practical, visible, obvious commandments and moves them upstream and helps us understand the thinking behind these and then gives us really practical instructions to set boundaries around those. If I'm just saying yes or no and doing what I say, I'm protecting myself from this kind of arrogance, and this kind of boasting. If I really am watchful and mindful about where my mind goes in terms of lust and the things that I'm mulling over or fantasizing about or being distracted by, well, maybe that's going to change my boundaries around the kinds of shows I watch or, or being mindful of going into a context where, where I know there's going to be a lot of opportunity to be tempted and, and thinking about that and seeing it as a way to, to worship God and to, to be thinking about that instead of just... Oh, I'm not going to commit adultery. I know that. So that's what Jesus is doing on one hand. He's helping us to understand actual obedience that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. But secondly, Jesus being here in person as Yahweh. And this is the closing point as we prepare our hearts to share the Lord's Supper. Jesus is here in person. God is here in person, not just to teach us the law, but to fold us into himself. Jesus will perfectly obey the law. Jesus will be the one who was tempted in every respect. Not just with these big things, but all the way upstream in every single tributary of sin. Jesus was tempted in every respect and yet was without sin. Jesus is righteous, perfectly righteous. And he's here inviting us to be folded into him. That's what we're about to celebrate. When we put that bread in our mouth and when we drink that wine, we're being reminded every week that by these Glorious mysteries. We are living members of the body of Christ. That you are seated in Christ Jesus. That you are part of his body. That this perfect righteous savior who God sent to you because of his love lives in you. That's what we're going to celebrate. And that's really true here. And there is a hunger and thirst for righteousness that Jesus is wetting for everyone who will listen to what he's saying. And there's also, if we're honest, a sense of desperation. This is a battle. This is hard. This takes a lot of focus. And there's no way I don't make mistakes here. There is that essence of this. And so here is Jesus, this one sent from God, this Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world to set you free to cut every chain. Here is this father who's reaching out to his world to adopt you into his family, to fold you in, to send his son to offer himself once for all as a propitiation for all of your sins, to take his righteousness and transfer it to you. The whole gospel helps us to understand that this one speaking is going to fold you into himself, die, and be raised and glorified, and that that torn veil at the end of the story speaks to you, that you don't walk through it on your own because of something that some abstract Messiah figure did. He carries you through. You're in him when he goes through, and you're in him as he sits at the right hand of God. So we can rejoice in how Jesus has come to fulfill everything that the Old Testament is yearning for and leaning toward and hoping for. Here he is in person, not just teaching us how to love him from the heart, not just practically helping us obey him and bear a righteousness that's greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees, but to be part of his body. I hope that as you come forward in a few moments to receive the Lord's Supper, that that the Holy Spirit will seal and and refresh you in your mind that Christ is in you and you are in him. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit.